Hello, my name is Matthew Kidman, and welcome to the latest episode of Success and More Interesting Stuff. Robert Kelly is not a household name in Australian investment circles. It should be. In 1996, Kelly, with a group of fellow insurance brokers, had the novel idea of forming a buying group that would deliver cheaper insurance rates. They decided to call it Steadfast. At the time, Kelly was running his own insurance broking firm, Delaney Kelly Golding. Somehow, he was able to keep his own shop going while travelling the country to convince many of his colleagues and competitors to sign up with Steadfast. It all happened very quickly. It wasn't long before Kelly formed a longer-term vision for the group, taking ownership of many of the Steadfast members and adding other revenue-generating operations such as agency underwriting and premium funding. In 2013, the company listed on the ASX with many of its original members as shareholders. With a listing price of $1.15, the stock was up strongly on day one to the delight of all the stakeholders. Today, Steadfast is Australia's biggest insurance broker and underwriting agency with a stock market valuation of $6 billion. Investors have enjoyed a total return of close to 500%. Kelly is now in his 70s and recently extended his tenure as Steadfast CEO until 2026. Age shall not weary him. The first half of Kelly's business career, prior to Steadfast though, was not so seamless. His first foray into the insurance world in the 1970s ended in liquidation that knocked him out of the industry for an extended period. He took his penance driving a taxi, wondering what his next calling was. Eventually, through some luck and opportunity, he got back into the game only to run afoul of legendary rugby league coach Jack Gibson. Gibson, smarting from a flawed insurance policy, came looking for Kelly for some retribution. In the end, the two of them parted amicably, Gibson leaving Kelly with some sage advice. It proved to be a major turning point that would see Kelly on his way into the big league. It's been, using a sporting uh, analogy, Rob, it's been a strong second half to the career. <laughs> Done good. Played hard. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, what... Mate, we always like to go back in this and, and, and investigate, you know, your background, which is obviously very colourful, you can tell from the introduction. But at the age of late 40s, most people are thinking, well, where's, where am I going to jump off in terms of career? Where's the end? You decide to turn around and build what is now a multi-billion dollar company. What, what was that inspiration? Fear. <laughs> the, best, the best thing is fear in any organisation. You know, I, 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 I race a yacht and the, far, the best um, way to empty a yacht is with a scared man in a bucket. <laughs> okay, well, I figured that we were in that situation with the way distribution was in Australia at that stage because the insurers weren't looking at uh, distribution. They were looking at clumps of business and discounting that. And the internationals were, were coming and fulfilling that need. And I thought the small to medium enterprise broker would not survive unless we came together and we were, became relevant and our original pitch was if we could get a couple of hundred million dollars worth of business together we'll become relevant to the market and we'll be able to survive what we had but that the internationals didn't have was relationships with people all over australia and i figured at that stage that relationships would always override price and because industries were the insurance industry at that stage was working on price and price sometimes i reflect when i watch the television and i see save 178 dollars by coming with coming here that in 
Mate, 45 years, not much has changed. Uh, <laughs> so but hang on, uh, a lot has changed from that point of view. Well, so it was fear that if we didn't change and join together, that a lot of individual people would disappear. That was the main motivation. So it was fear for the industry rather than fear for your own personal well-being? Yeah, no, no, I thought I could always go back to be a cleaner or, or, or to drive a taxi. I, I, was, I was quite uh, uh, able to feed myself. No, I, think, I thought that the small to medium enterprise part of the industry was the backbone. 96% of businesses in Australia were small to medium enterprise and they needed personal advice rather than corporate interference into, into markets. So yeah, I thought if we could all pull together, we would be strong, the industry would be strong and, and the consumer would be better served. So just fill me in on the structure. How did that actually work? Why were you talking to other insurance brokers? Did you have a loose co-op before that in 1996? No. And no, because you found all. it with some other... Brokers, did yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, we got 43 together in the beginning, okay? But how did you know these people? What well, well I, we, we all worked in the industry. It's, a, it's not, it's, um, how would I say, it, there's, not, there's not animus between people, there's competition, but everybody was in the same boat. You know, if, if if the if the boat's sinking and everybody's got a bucket, then everybody will, will use the bucket, right? Okay. And the problem was that um, there wasn't a, a cohesive um, uh, point of view from the insurers. They were happy to divide and conquer. They were happy to bu- to put lots of premium into one particular area. We we had the distribution, and we thought that we could pr- probably survive much better if we pulled together. And so a cohort got together just by me talking to people, and a couple of other people talking to people, and somebody else talking to people, and we got forty three together out of Parramatta. And it was interesting because I said simply in the beginning, if you want to survive, you can't try and be forty three islands. We've got to become. One and we've got to share all of our information and share what we know and not take advantage over one another, and it rang it rang a chord at that particular time. So it went on from there. You definitely had some receptive ears. I, I remember you saying that you had a conference or, or a gathering at Albert Park in Melbourne, yeah, and yeah. two hundred people turned up. Yeah, we I think we had about two hundred and four or two hundred and five people came, and that was the start of 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 I guess. The, the cohort that was pulling together, that started people were coming and talking to one another and, and seeing that, hey, you know what, this is not a bad place to be. So, I mean... And was that the light that went on? You said, we've got something here. This is much bigger than what I thought. I, I def- definitely, after the first conference, we knew that there was absolutely, this was something and people wanted to do it and wanted to be part of it and, and, and wanted to pull together, you know. And before we leave Step Fast, we'll come back to it a bit later, but before we leave it now... Here we are, whatever it is, 25, 30 years later, $6 billion company, you've got gross written premium, which for technical reasons is how, you know, how much insurance your brokers are writing across the country, 30-odd percent of the, of the market in Australia. Like It's enormous success from those numbers. But has it achieved what you wanted? Did, did it bring the insurers uh, into line and give the broking community the distribution Group the power it needed to have a say in the industry. It's it, yes, in a, in a succinct answer, yes, it did. Okay, and and it was interesting because the insurers ignored us in the beginning and were and were really quite nice to us. But you know, I mean, when I first decided to set it up, I was quite well known to uh, to most of the CEOs, and two or three of them 
really kindly said to me, look, you know, you're a nice guy, but this is never going to work. My <laughs> insurance is sold on price, not on, not on anything else. And I said, you're wrong. It's sold on relationship and advice. And if you, if you keep selling on price, you're a commodity, just like a cup of coffee. Uh, we, we have a relationship and the relationship will win through. And I'm pleased to say that sort of nearly 28 years later, I'm actually still in the industry, but none of those people who gave me the advice are in the industry anymore. But there was a bit of a vision there. So you actually understood the industry you were working in yeah. as opposed to those guys well, I, I understood. I understood who the consumers were of business insurance in Australia. Well, it's a, com- it's a complex issue, insurance, for every business, every person. Yeah. And invariably, if you've got a sound voice on the other end of the phone or someone who comes to see you, understands where you're at and says, well, I can help you. It's the same with the mortgage industry. They're quite complex. Yeah, absolutely. The mortgage industry is a good pa- comparison. You know, if you, if you go back to how you got a mortgage, you went and begged the bank to do it. Now, now, now you've got a, a raft of mortgage brokers with access to all the markets who compete against one another. It's fantastic for the consumer. Yep. You've got a menu to dine out on. That's absolutely, right. without yep. a doubt. Well, that, that's great. And I said we'll come back to that. Can we, can we go back into the Rob Kelly past? Um, we've had a bit of a chat before we came sure. on air, and and we we know your Irish background, and, sure. and 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 the kind of genealogy in your family. But where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Sydney? Uh, I did grow up in Sydney. Uh, I I was born in Paddington, and uh, I was baptised at St Francis, and uh, I came from a Catholic background. And it would my, have been quite a tough suburb my, back then, wouldn't it? Well, I've, uh, no, no, we we moved out quickly uh, when I was a small child, and we. We went up to to Newcastle, and um, and I remember clearly living at Nelson's Bay as a small child, and and moving around. Then we came came back and went to the western suburbs of Sydney, and we lived in Reevesby and Panania. <laughs> Interesting enough, uh, I went to school with Brian Brown. Uh, we were went the, the actor, yeah, the actor. And uh, it was only about a decade ago with some friends I still know from school. We were. I said, "Yeah, I wonder if that Brian Brown we hung around with when we were probably five and six was the actor." They said, "Of course, he's the actor." He went, <laughs> and I looked it up, and he did. He went to the same school, so it, it was it was um, uh, an interesting time in those days, you know, because um, um, I don't remember wearing shoes that often. Uh, when I was a, a, a kid. Uh, what, going I, to school? No, 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 playing. Once you got home, you took your shoes off and ran around without it. I, I remember one of our fun thing was to put a penny on the railway tracks and and watch and, and sit next to the train. You could walk across the railway tracks and when the train went through, go and get the penny, which, the penny, which had been completely obliterated and think, how cool this is. The <laughs> bad guys used to go up onto the bridge and drop rocks on the, on the, on the train as it went past. So I, I was never game enough to do that I thought it was cool, but I was never game enough to do it. Very good. So it, it was not not a school of hard knocks, but it was a pretty grounded upbringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were my mother. My mother worked as a barmaid, and my father worked for for the PMG in those days, the Postmaster General's Department, which was uh, today you'd call it not not uh, not uh, um, you'd call it Telstra today. Okay, because they did a, a whole lot of things, including communication and letters, and he was on the communication side. He worked in the Delhi Street Exchange in the city. Yeah. And what what position did he hold? Did, did no, he was a, just a he was just a a, a, a a clerk type person. Nothing nothing spectacular. You know? So in the family, there I gather from what you've just told me, there wasn't a lot of talk about how business works. Uh, no, no, it was more about if we got enough money to eat. 
<laughs> I remember when we moved, we moved. To, my, my parents bought a bought a, um, a block a block of land, and uh, my father was uh, 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 um, on a, on a pension from the war. He got injured injured up at Yamba uh, uh, when a, he was a, a mechanic on on airplane, airplanes. And he did the mechanical side up there, and a, a plane fell and 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 hurt him. And then he, when he went got put into hospital, he got TB. So he oh, was expatriated out, which which was interesting because a lot of people in our family looked upon the fact he hadn't contributed to the war, you know. And there must have been a lot of people like that, when I reflect, that actually worked to survive uh, for, the, for the people in the front line to get serviced and for the planes to get done and for food to be produced who didn't actually go into active combat but were absolutely crucial to, uh, to feeding and looking after the resources. Of a, a whole country effort, which, yeah, which we yeah. don't see a lot we of today. We don't see a lot of today, no. So... That, that's interesting. So there wouldn't have been a lot of talk about business, but I gather from what, what you're saying is getting to know people and relationships, which was what you mentioned before, yeah, yeah. was something that you developed quite strongly in those communities. Yeah, I think I was, uh, I was uh, probably... Um, I wasn't much interested in school. Um, I remember, I remember the, the primary final um, was... Uh, the transition from uh, from um, small school into into first first year of high school, and they had all the all of the uh, presents. Uh, there was the there was the the ducks of the class, the, the best guy in English, all of all of those things. And at the end, there was a, there was one trophy at the end there, and uh, the the uh, the only teacher who ever understood me actually, I think said, and th- this uh, final uh, award is to Robert Kelly. And I thought, what? <laughs> I hope I wasn't in this class. And can you come forward? And I went, what is it? And he said, this, is, this award's for Robert Kelly. It was simply inscribed to being the class entertainer. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, most people, most parents looked as if, oh God, my kid got maths, mine got English, your kid got being the class entertainer. So, in but, my that, but that kind of says to me, you got people's attention. Yes. So you were noticed. That was good and bad, but at school, you know. Yes, I could make a class laugh and be disruptive. And, uh, and basically when I was born, uh, uh, when I was bored. So that was a lot of fun sometimes, but it must have been horrific for teachers who were trying to teach. They were in my leaving class or, you know, the, um, when I uh, did the finals, there was 57 in the class. Yep. Okay, if you, and one of me. I mean, can you imagine how bad it would be trying to teach 57 kids and having one pain in the butt that was <laughs> morphed into the class entertainer? I don't think it was a good thing for the teachers. And where did you fit in? Were you a sportsman? Were you a musician? Yeah, yeah. No, like, no, I loved, mu- I loved music. I sang in the choir. I played football um, and um, I played softball. Uh, but that, uh, and I competitive? Uh, yeah, 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 competitive, yeah. And, com- and uh, every every guest we get on get on here, we talk about competition and the enjoyment of competition. Do you fit into that category? And has that been you talked about fear earlier yeah. as something that motivates people? But com- being competitive and trying to win the game is that is that played a role in what you're doing? Do you uh, think? Look, look, I think I think uh, I mean I I I I I race a Grand Prix race shot. And it's thirteen on the crew. 
and yeah, you, it's competitive because you want to win, but it's also very structural about everybody relying upon everybody else uh, and making sure. And people often say to me, "What's it like? Uh, you know, do you tell everybody what to do?" I go, "No, I steer the boat, and and and, and that's my job." <laughs> I mean, we have a sailing master that 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 that, that watches for tactics. We have a, a we have a navigator. I said, "It's a it's a group of people all pulling cohesively together." And, uh, I, I mean, the one thing that uh, we try not to do and we don't is anybody shout on the boat because if somebody makes a mistake, they didn't do it intentionally and if you scream at them, that's not going to help. That doesn't even help you. That just confuses things. So I like the idea of, a, of teamwork working together to achieve something and, of course, I don't mind uh, the competitive nature of, of anything like that. Yeah, no, that, well, that makes sense given what you've built. So you're in the southwest of Sydney. Yep. In we used to go to Cronulla. Australia. We used to go to Cronulla for for a swim, and then my 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 mother worked out that um, we loved going to Cronulla, and that land uh, that real estate in Cronulla was was not very expensive. I mean, Cronulla was a beach suburb that at the end of a rail line, and that so we it was a long we, way from the city. Long way from the city. So we moved we moved to Cronulla when I was about six. Yeah, and yeah. that that was your home, wasn't that it? That was my home. Yeah, at that stage, that's uh, that's where we settled, except for two years when my uh, and my parents decided to move to Brisbane, and I did two years in Brisbane, but I got through that okay. I mean, was the that sh- the shy is your home? The shy, the shy. I'm, I'm a shy person. Yeah, although I, I did move out of the shire and I've never moved, never moved back. But uh, much of the chagrin, I'm afraid of <laughs> of my school friends who go, "You moved out." Uh, I go, "Yeah, there's a whole new world over the Town Point Bridge. <laughs> a, there's there's other people." It's hard to wash out. The then, from what I can gather, you went to. UTS after you finished school, but you didn't like no, school. No, no, I did. I, 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 I went straight uh, from school. I was going to become uh, um, a, a lawyer, uh, and uh, I didn't. I didn't matriculate. And I remember coming back from uh, from the, the picking up the the paper in Kipex Street Fair with the Fairfax Press, where they put the names of who passed and who didn't. And I knew I wasn't going to pass because. Uh, my then girlfriend said to me, "You've done nothing but surf and play sport and uh, and have a good time. You, you honestly don't think you're going to matriculate, do you?" And I went, "No, I probably not." And then coming back, I thought, "You know what? I don't know. I think I need to matriculate." So I went back to East Sydney Tech and matriculated and uh, and was going to do the Solicitors Admission Board with a local lawyer, a lawyer, who who said to me um, uh, in the de- in the December, "I'm." I'm not doing as well as I thought. Could you put it off a year? And I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't feel like you were that motivated to do that then. Well, I'd been I'd been working in the local garage. Uh, I had a penchant for uh, for mechanical things. I like bringing around with cars and building things and that. And so I, I, I decided that uh, I would get myself a, um, um, a, a decent car. I had an old bomb car that I was keeping together and... I went to raise some money and I sat, I sat down and the guy said, what's your occupation? And I went, I'm a, um, uh, oh, I'm a mechanic. And I, <laughs> so that was okay. And I, I remember go, leaving that. It was with ASL, they were the financiers over at Congra and uh, thinking, I'm not a mechanic. I'm really somebody that's really, you know, I'm, I'm cool. I, I'm, I'm not a mechanic. And so I thought... I can't be a mechanic for this 12 months that I'm going to... What I'll do is I'll go and get a job. So I got a job with uh, 
a company called Flooring Distributors as a junior sales rep. And uh, I, I guess I became successful. Within three months, they gave me a car and I was travelling up what and down. What were you selling? Uh, selling carpet, Felton Textiles New Zealand's carpet, and Armstrong vinyl from New Zealand. It was, a, it was from, from America. It was a, a great little company. It, it was a New Zealand company and it was just uh, uh, they had really good quality products. So, but that was difficult because putting expensive product into the market required some form of uh, uh, um, support from the the, the big uh, uh, acquirers. You know, in fact, back in the day, I, I called on uh, a um, a small firm that was at Arcliffe, which was called Ian Norman. And that was that morphed into uh, there was two guys there, one called Jerry Harvey, and the other was Ian Norman, and they were they were flogging uh, carpet and things like that. So I actually called on them when I was a kid. But they've, so this is in the sixties. Yeah, this is this is in the mid sixties. Yeah. So it's uh, so I I become quite successful. They were letting me travel interstate for them. I was pretty young. I was eighteen. I, I was a big guy, and uh, so and you I, must have realised then that sales suited you. Yeah, I, I think I think I was. That, that's what I thought I could do. I could do sales. Anyway, as, as life progressed on, I'd been there till I was just under twenty. I'd done two and a half years, not right, and uh, I thought, you know what, I've got to spread my rings a bit wider than flooring distributors, right? Because the guy who was running it. Uh, would, would retire in the next five or six years, and they brought a guy in from from Auckland who was a, a more or less an a, uh, an accountant, and uh, he was about five or six years older than me. I thought there's no pathway here; I'm going to have to wait. So I applied with a company called Nelson and Robertson, who were island traders, right? And they 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 traded all around the um, South Pacific. You know, they had had boats. They they delivered everything possible there. Anyway, they wanted somebody to work out a lay as their sales their South Pacific sales promotion guy in PNG. In PNG, and I thought, God, this is cool. You know, I'll. Anyway, I got the job, and the first thing we had to do was we had to go on a six-week uh, all around, all around uh, New Guinea and uh, and South Pacific, the Solomons and stuff like that. That was was interesting to me. And I went with an, um, the general manager and I went with a fellow from um, uh, Bankers and Traders who was the chief clerk. And, uh, uh, and I said to him after about three or four days, I said, well, what, what, what do you do? He said, well, you're our agents in the, in the, in the South Pacific. Okay, so I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, we give you a covenant book and we give you what you can write and then you write it on our behalf, you bank the money to us and whatever you bank every month, we send you 33 and a third percent of that back. So this is your first taste of insurance. Absolutely. This is how you found out about and it. And I thought, oh, so I, I, I guess I spent six weeks certainly looking around, two things, deciding I was never going to live in Papua New Guinea Okay, and that that, that 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 was there was no room for Robert Kelly <laughs> up there. I was, I reflect on a couple of the places I went to, thinking how friendly the women were to everybody, you know. And then I started to think, oh, they drink a lot. And I thought, no, this is this. I will go backwards if I stay here. So I decided that um, I would come back and resign from Nelson and Robertson and become an insurance broker. 
And that's where it started. And that's exactly And you just opened your own business, didn't I you? Opened, I opened and it. Who, in those days, to become an insurance broker, you you woke up in the morning, you had an epiphany and you went, I'm an insurance broker, and you were an insurance broker. And then the first guy to give me an agency was uh, was Larry Adler. Uh, so, so how did you meet him? Uh, well, I knew I knew I knew of him uh, in the in the industry. I'd done a lot of research on the industry over the uh, over the period of uh, I guess before I actually started, and I knew he was looking for people. So uh, I went down and he gave me a Covenant book and I wrote wrote business and I started a thing called Cronulla Insurance Services, which was fantastic. We ended up. With 19 people working for us, it was amazing. It was just, uh, I had no idea about about business. I knew how to how to talk to people. I knew how to get product to people, and of course, one day I woke up and I owed 114 grand, which is so. Uh, so just you, you hired 19 people. It must have been a profitable venture most well, of that period because well, you're walking into the 70s now. I gather. Yeah, yeah, we're into the we're into the 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 the, the start of that was uh, in fact February 69. I resigned in February 69, and uh, I started that business and I formed the the proprietary limited company in August of 69. So I spent a few months um, working as a life salesman for, for one of the life companies. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to run out of friends to sell life insurance to. General insurance is where I've, I've just this got me in here. And so I started from that. So, yeah. And you just went around knocking on doors and saying, I, well, I've, I've got I, a policy I had, for you. I had... Um, I, 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 I realised that centres of influence was the way to go, so I, I worked with my local car dealer and, and yeah, I started to... I had a friend of mine who was a, 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 a hairdresser and uh, so I used their connections and I started... I built a business. Uh, and off and you went. Off but, you went. But I gather it was pretty successful because uh, it, I, thought, it, I think you heard... You, you, Listening to some stuff before, you'd bought a boat and you, yeah, yeah, yeah and well, you had a pretty ritzy luxury yeah, car. I had, yeah, I had, I had a Mercedes when I was twenty-two, so twenty-one. Yeah, I mean that sort of, but that went with the that with the persona of being a successful person. You know, if you pulled up in a Mercedes in those days, uh, people thought, oh, this guy must be good if he's driving a Mercedes <laughs> around. That's so good that was, marketing. That was part of the marketing, right? Okay. Yeah. So Real estate agents still do that. They said, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they've, they've become a little passe now, Mercedes Benzes, but that's okay. They're, they were, in those days, a sign that these people are successful. Yeah. And, and so come, I think it was I, 1974, you had this debt, interest rates went... A lot higher. Yeah, look, is that I, what caught you out? No, I I, um, I I I formed a life division, and uh, we were selling life insurance, and uh, adjunct to the general. And uh, I had uh, um, I had a whole lot of guys selling life insurance. I was working with another guy, and that was adjunct to the general insurance side of it. And then one month, I had forty three thousand dollars worth of commission taken away from me. Now that that's $43,000 is a lot of money today, but I can tell you in 1974, it wasn't a lot of money. It was devastating. <laughs> so the banks weren't lending, okay? I'd run out of cash, and so I, I, I went down and worked out one night. I owed $114,000 more than, than what I had. So to the bank? To, 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 no, to the insurance companies. Right. Yeah. So I'd basically been using, the, the, in those days, the money just went into one tin and you took it out. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm short. 
So I thought, well, what will I do? I'll start from scratch. So I'll fess up and turn, I went to where I went to the went to two or three of the key insurers. Said, look, I, I don't I owe you the money, but if I if I if I run this um, uh, this account for you and you collect the money, it, it, you'll get your money back in about twelve or eighteen months' time by the commissions that I earn on it. And I got agreement out of a couple of them, and then the the third one said yes, and the next day. Um, uh, wrote to all the clients and said I hadn't paid the money and and tried to get the business. So I was I was left with no no choice but to put the business into liquidation at that stage. And, uh, devastating. Devastating. Well, but devastating. It was, it was horrific. I mean, and then the only way I could survive was I had to I had the, 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 the I had to pay it back. It took me from uh, I guess I finished the final payments in eighty two. So I'm thinking about seven or eight years. Yep. Of paying off yeah, that people debt. say, God, that you, that was terrific. You know, you must have learned a lot. I said, I learned not to be an idiot. So this seg- <laughs> that's a segue into why I went to uh, I went back to uh, you know uh, to to, uh, to to learn about um, accounting. In never that never to be an accountant. Just to and I only you uh, you, you asked me did I did I did I complete accountancy? No, no, I was never going to be accountant. What I wanted to know was how a balance sheet worked, I wanted to know how revenues worked, I wanted to be able to sit around. And I guess in some ways that's, that was a, a big help to me. Although my then uh, accountant that I had said to me, why are you doing accountancy? Uh, and I said, I want to learn. And he said, get a blank piece of paper and write a T on it. And I said, he said, come on, do it. And I said, yeah, okay. He said, now, on the left-hand side put I and on the right-hand side put E. And I okay, well, what does that mean? He said, well, all your income goes down the left-hand side and all your expenses go down the right-hand side. You draw a line across the bottom every month and if the I's are bigger than the E's, then you're in business. If the E's are bigger than the I's, you're not in business. That's accountancy, son. <laughs> well, for some reason, you've got to go to uni for three or four years to work that out. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I swore at school I'd never have anything to do with maths and I swore that... I would never do anything, and now my whole life for the last is uh, all numbers. Is, is all numbers, everything. everything. So, just going back, so you, you shut up shop. You went into liquidation. You had to put off those first, nineteen people that were working for yeah, you. Yeah, and yeah. Then, close and then that, close it down, and and, and you and went then, driving a cab. Drove a cab for eleven months. Then I I um, I had a friend that. Uh, convinced me one day, he said, is this it for you? I said, yeah, I might try and buy a cab and I might get a couple of cabs or something like that. And, and he just spoke to me and said, you know what, you build a business, Do you ever, don't you ever think that maybe you should have another go, right? And anyway, I thought, yeah, driving the cab, I was doing cleaning as well. I was doing a, a couple of jobs and... Uh, Working long hours? Yeah, 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 yeah. To pay that debt down primarily? Yeah, yeah. well, survive. Survive and pay. It's a. It's an interesting. Um, the debt was interesting because I I owed ASL uh, at Congra. I owed them about. Uh, I owed them about twenty two thousand dollars. All right. Now that's that that's that's a small car today. But in those days, that was uh, you could buy a house for twenty two thousand dollars. So yep. it was a fairly large. Anyway. They 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 wrote to me and said they were going to put me into bankruptcy and all that sort of stuff. So I kept I wrote back and said, look, I'll pay it back, but I can only send you fifty bucks a month, right? And so I started sending all the debtors fifty bucks a month or seventy five bucks a month or, and things like that. And then for about three years, I'd actually got back 
the ASL uh, to 100, about 100 bucks a month. So I'd increased it and stuff like that. And uh, I'd knocked about, I don't know, two, two or three grand off the account. And then I got a, I got a letter saying that the, the, um, um, the state manager wanted to see me right, about the debt. And I thought, oh, this is it, they're going to pull a plug on me. So I went over there and he said, um, we always get people who owe us money who say they're going to pay and they never do. He said, you've paid every month since that day you made it. He said, I get discretion every year to look at our debtors. I'm wiping your debt off. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Which was really, which is a, a, a good lesson. If you, if I think, if you are, uh, if you genuinely make a mistake and you want to try and make better for it, just try. Even though the the mountain, I mean, I mean, the hundred and fourteen grand seemed insurmountable to me, but you know, it took seven years. And you would have been light on your feet after that meeting. You yeah. would have walked out. Well, I felt, felt fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So. Uh, Fast forward a little bit. You, you, you're cleaning. You're driving cabs. You're paying back debt. It's, I, it's I go to work day. for Mervac, but I, I, go, I, I go to sell that, real estate for Mervac. Was that in eighty one or was no, that? That was that was no, no that was in seventy six. Back in the sales game. Back in the sales game. Okay, and uh, it's it's funny how uh, life can reflect on you. It was run by two guys in those go, those days, and um, it it was uh, part owned by. AGC, uh, and uh, at that stage, uh, AGC were one of the were the people who went to all my clients, and they hated me, and they were they were they were trying to put me in jail. So, when I said to uh, the two guys who ran um, um, uh, who owned the fifty percent that didn't, Bob Hamilton and Henry Pollock, I said, "Oh God, oh yeah, I didn't realise you." I said, "AGC hate me," you know. I said, "They won't let you employ me." I said, "No, no, no, we run the business," you know. You know, you look like you would. So I, 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 I was interesting to, to do that. That gave me, lifted me into uh, wearing a suit and stuff like that and, and, and put me into the real estate game. And then um, <laughs> Henry Pollock, that, uh, you know, who, God rest his soul, who died many years ago, he, um, he took me under his wing. He, he said to me, I, I saw in your application that you, um, one of the things you do is you sail. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've, 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 I've done a lot of ocean racing when I was younger and that, you know, I had a yacht and stuff like that. He said, oh, I, I have a yacht. And he said, can you put up a spinnaker? And I said, yeah, of course I I said, of course I can put a little 24-foot boat. So he said, come sailing with me. Anyway, to cut a long story short, was I was able to, um, to, to uh, show him how to set a spinnaker and stuff like that. And we became quite good friends. And he became quite a mentor for me, you know, and... Uh, um, he, he was um, a um, an intelligent, highly intelligent guy, and so about a year into working for them, they said to me, um, "Do you think you could use your insurance skills on our insurance program that we're paying for AGC at that stage?" You know, and uh, I said, "Look, I'll have a look at it." Anyway, cut a really long story short. Uh, I tendered their insurance and saved one hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars, which was. Which was they were selling home units for forty three grand in those days, so it was pretty it was meaningful. Good. It was meaningful, and then, and then the, a friend of mine rang up and said um, he'd had a fight with his son. Would I come and work in the broking business? That was Colin Delaney, and uh, so you, this is you going back into the insurance. Yeah, this is eighty two. This is eighty two. I've just about. I said, well, I've I've just about paid off all the debts. Okay, and so. 
a general accident uh, I owed money to and I'd paid back money to them. And so Colin went to a general accident and said, look, I want to get Kelly involved in the business. And they said, well, he's... He's, he's been okay with us, come back in. So I went and worked for the then. I'd, I'd built a, a cleaning business because uh, I, I, Henry Pollock had said, look, um, I, I was divorced at that stage and you know, sometimes that, that uh, life changes and I, I, I had to see my kids on the weekend and on Sundays and they happened on Sundays. So I resigned from Mervac and he said, don't resign. Uh, uh, build a business in here. We pay a fortune in cleaning, so I, I set, he gave he gave me access to to their cleaning. I set up a cleaning business, so I had a cleaning business, which was which was pretty successful, and uh, and still my my youngest brother still runs it today, actually. And uh, the um, so I went and worked for three months at uh, NG Delaney Insurances, and uh, that was my segue back into the. Redemption. Uh, where, where? The full circle. So the full circle. Before we leave the history, can you tell us about your meeting with Jack Gibson? Because you're the, well, rugby, well, the yeah, super yeah, coach from yeah. rugby league. Well, well uh, Jack Jack was a, a big, um, uh, what would I say, a personality in Cronulla. And, uh, and I guess... I was very well known in Cronulla, so he he um, my my then wife was te- was teaching his youngest son, so we we, we sort of met anyway. He um, he had um, he'd bought a building in Cronulla, and uh, he came to he came to see me because I'd been doing his insurances, and uh, he said, "Do you want to move into the building?" And so I moved into the building, and then we we became quite good. I played squash with him on Wednesday mornings, which was. Uh, which was uh, he was I think Gibbo was eighteen years older than me and uh, and I never beat him once and uh, he um, it was in those days squash courts um, had a big room with showers all around okay there was no privacy or anything and so and the first time we played squash was really funny he said uh, what are you what Kelly always called me Kelly what are you doing I said I'm turning the water on to have a shower Gibbo what do you think I'm doing he said coming from he said. You don't have hot showers, so we had to have cold showers the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, he'd, he'd, uh, I'd made a mistake on his insurances, uh, which wasn't my fault, but I had to bear the responsibility of it. And uh, I'd, um, I'd, um, he'd had an accident in his Cadillac and the insurer wouldn't pay for it. And so I said, and uh, anyway, I was living at that stage in my parents' hotel in, in Cathedral Street and I rang him up and said, I'm looking, I've, I've, this is a cock-up, completely not good, it's, it's my fault, you know, I'll, I'll pay you back anyway. Um, he said, where are you living? I said, I'm living with the band. So, oh, <laughs> so my mother comes up to one night and she said, Jack Gibson's in the bar. <laughs> the whole bar's gone quiet. <laughs> and he was there with two of his associates. And I thought, oh, no, um, this is not going to be good for me, right? And... Um, he was really kind to me. He said, Kel, you're not a crook. You just, you, you just made some mistakes. And he said, you're, um, you're going to be successful again. And he said, I'm going to let you off all this, okay? All right? You, you're free and clear, all right? But he said, I, I want you to, tomorrow, when you walk out, remember what I did for you and start doing it for other people instead of thinking about yourself. And that was sort of, I guess, uh, the transition in my whole mind about life and what you should do is that here's a guy who, I mean, he was the king of rugby league in those days. He was, he was you know, the, the doyen of everything. And, uh, so that became a bit of a pillar about how you thought about 
life. People and life. And people and life. How you, how you conduct yeah. your business. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't uh, up to the up to that stage. I'd been thinking about how I could survive and how I could do this and uh, and uh, I guess I guess it, it made me reflect a lot more about business and about how you treat people and how and I guess that little epiphany I went through um, changed and uh, I guess probably set the DNA for me to go into the future from 1970 it was probably by the middle beginning of 75 at that stage yeah yeah so interesting the kid from Cronulla had some colorful characters Larry Adler yeah. Henry Pollock Bob Hamilton yes. Jack Gibson that, that's 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 a cross-section of the Sydney community. Yeah. Oh, there was also another guy, Morris Gordon Chris, Cambridge Insurance Company. That was a, another guy who, uh, um, uh, who who did some fraudulent stuff. I pointed him out and he and, a, and, uh, and uh, that was an interesting, you know, we won't go through all that, but it's well recorded, Cambridge and Norfolk Insurance and the liquidation of that. I, I caught him out. Well, that's the hard knocks of life. The hard knocks of life. <laughs> we all go through them, but it sounds like you had a fair dose of it. So with that grounding, you obviously built um, the, the Delaney Kelly Golding business up and it became a profitable business. That's what I'm guessing. And It was a profitable business and, and we developed it, yes, yes. And, and you were running it? Yeah, yes, yes. And then I, I was running it with uh, Colin's son who, who, who decided to leave and go and work in international and, uh, and, uh, and then my brother came into it. And then we we uh, we worked together till '93, and uh, he went his separate way. I went my separate way, and um, I, I, I developed the business. And now my my two sons run those business, those businesses. Still yeah. going today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So take that history, and at the start of the conversation, we talked about where steadfast is and, and how you built it. Can we go to today? It's 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 a giant. In, in the Australian landscape and it's gone overseas as well. Sure. How does someone like you who didn't have any formal training, as far as I can work out from sure. our conversation, sure. know how to build and run a business of that size? Because I, I don't know how many people work for Steadfast today. Uh, look, I, I mean, in the, in the network, there's 17,000 in the network and we own 50% of the network uh, in terms of its distribution. Uh, we probably uh, directly or indirectly employ somewhere around about uh, five five thousand people, I suppose. That's a big number. Yeah, yeah, but it's spread over a lot of really good people that all run businesses, and we respect them from that point of view. Yeah, and that's not daunting, given um, that you've had to do what, it on the run as opposed well, to what, having formal training. What I always did, and and nothing changed, is if I didn't understand something, I learnt what I didn't understand. So I never, I never, I never. If I if I had a problem and I needed some help and I asked somebody to help me, instead of taking their advice, I learnt how the advice propagated itself. So, where everything that I did, that's why I was a really good insurance broker. I wasn't just a salesman. I was actually a very good technical insurance broker. And and so, I had the sales ability. I had, I had, I guess, I had the relationship ability to be able to talk and interact with people. But I also had the technical expertise. So when I when when we started steadfast, we put together exactly the best way you could operate an insurance broking. And we said we would, and that's what I promised them at that first meeting. I said we will build a company that allows you to have access to everything you need to be as good as the international 
insurance practice. And that's what we do. We'll use the money to build systems. We'll use the money to build expertise and we'll pass that on to you. So that's why it was successful. So was it daunting to float? It was, a, it was an interesting scenario because we never set out to build the business to make money. We never set out to build the bit. We set out to build the business to secure the section of the industry that we were involved in and give them continuity. I mean, the, the um, I guess in many ways um, it's interesting because that first day, the people who bought we we'd, we'd formed an unlisted public company, and we sold them five shares for three hundred and sixty bucks. When we listed the company, which was These in... your members. Yeah, our members, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you came in, uh, and wh- why was it an unlisted public company? Because there was going to be more than 20 shareholders. Mm-hmm. So that's changed a bit nowadays. But so it wasn't... People think I did that so we could segue that and list it, okay, which we didn't. But that wasn't the, 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 wasn't the reason for it in the beginning. So they paid three, 360 bucks for that. And, and, uh, and that was in, in, ni- in April 96 was when we started Steadfast. And what's that worth today? Uh, that th- those five shares, uh, they're worth five hundred and seventy thousand dollars. It's a nice return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I bet you wouldn't have guessed that number at the time. <laughs> I, well, I was left with the the problem of when we were floating the business of people saying, "Should I take shares or should I take cash?" And I said, "Look." I think you should take 60% cash and, and roll the dice on 40%, right? And, of course, everybody uh, thought that was secure. And then the, because the business had been successful, people say to me, you talked me into taking 60% cash. I should have taken more shares. I went, how would it have been if the shares were 20 cents today, not $6.20, okay? And, I mean, that's, you know, if you could perceive in advance how it was going to go, then, of course, you would. But it was a, it was a gamble, and they all gambled with me. I mean, they all took the risk. They all they all follow through and, and it's paid dividends for them. And the, the phrase roll up yep. is not a no. warm phrase in investments. No, I hate those. it. I hate it. Because but, but it has lent itself in the insurance broking industry because it's not only you guys, we've got uh, OS brokers, yep. we've got PSC Insurance yep, and sure. we've got the international guys. Sure. Why does it work for insurance brokers it, it, being part of a bigger group? It, it worked for us because we built a network first and they were all successful in the network and so it, the the um, all of the brokers that we've bought have been in the network were worked in the network adopted all the things we did relied upon what we did we knew them intimately we knew them we knew them um, we knew their we knew the way they operated we knew the ones that were we could have um, i guess relationships with uh, uh, cultural fit. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what it was. We, we knew the cultural fit of everybody in the network and we knew who would fit culturally and who wouldn't fit culturally. So that's why it worked. And that's why I hate the right term roll-up. We converted a network where there was no equity into a network where there was equity. And we gave... The, the, why did we do it in the beginning? Did I do it because I wanted to make a lot of money or anything? I didn't take any founder's shares when we floated the business. Not one. I bought $5 million worth with cash. Okay, I put down my cash. To well, that, that is one of the unusual things about Steadfast, that it was a business that grew out of the ground, yeah. as you know, we've talked about it. Normally the founders have got a huge percentage of that, but 
you're, in fact, you're, just, you've re- never had a just recently, percentage. no, 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 no. I mean, I, I the, 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 just recently, um, <laughs> in, in uh, uh, one of the investment big investment houses, they said, "Why did you sell your founders shares?" And I said, uh, "I never got any." They <laughs> went, "No, no. Where, where, where? Why did you sell them? Why didn't you hang on to them? They'd be worth." I said. I didn't take any. I had to explain to people the reason I didn't take any founders' shares was I couldn't, I couldn't take something from a network of people who'd all worked behind me and make a lot of money out of it. It was wrong. It was morally wrong in my mind, okay? So what happened was I got 5 million shares interest-free for three years. And in three years, I had to pay the $5 million, okay? So I bought them. So nobody can say, look at that, he, he got all those shares, we made him successful. The reality is I, I had the biggest fight because my $5 million loan was full recourse. So if those shares at a dollar, that, at a dollar went to $0.20, cents, I had to pay the, the full amount. The full amount. And that was difficult because... It sounds like 1974 again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was a, roll, a roll of dice, I guess. You know, I backed what we were going to do. And so now today you've got massive business in Australia in particular. Yep. You've got all that gross written premium that the, the network does and... Yeah, I mean, the, I mean we, we, put, we put through the underwriting agencies and through the network, the, the, the addition, we did $14 billion, billion worth of sales. You know, when we were going to float the company back in '96, we thought, you know what? If we can't get a two million dollar, a two hundred million dollar market cap, we won't be able to float. Right? So it just—it's—it wasn't a lay down that's there. No, never, never is. Uh, but but have you have you kind of hit the wall in Australia? Because the no, no, we've got a, a, a huge runway in Australia, because we we only um, we only own fifty percent of the network sales. Okay, now I would say that there's still uh, the potential out there to, to convert probably 80% of the balance of those sales into equity brokers at times when people choose to take, take some capital off the ground or want succession or indeed want to probably get out. So and you refer to that in your presentations as yeah, the, the trap, the trap capital. capital. Yeah, yeah, the trap capital. I mean, we, we, we went on a program about 18 months ago to say to people, look, when we floated, we explained how it all worked. We've never done that to you again. Uh, we had a great flow. As you can see, the history, we've always done between 100 and $150 million worth of acquisitions a year uh, since we've, since we've uh, floated. And uh, we said, do you want to see what, where the, the, your, your capital that's contained in the business that you own is trapped, and people, people that that struck some resonance with people. They go, how, "How do you mean?" I said, "Well, your business is worth eighteen million dollars. Are you happy to have that eighteen million dollars sitting in your business, and 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 and, or would you or would you like us to take, give you nine million, okay, and own fifty percent of it, and you still keep fifty percent of it, and let's work together. And I mean, that struck a chord with people. People went, "Oh, you know what? Wouldn't be bad to de-risk myself. It wouldn't be bad to, to at fifty-eight or sixty-three, have half my capital in my pocket and still be able to run the business and still go forward." So it was a good metrics of of, of operating structure. So we no, we've got we've got 
good good uh, runway in Australia. We've got a very successful business in New Zealand. We've got a good successful business in Singapore, and we own sixty uh, percent of units in Steadfast out of out of Hamburg. And we have, we have a uh, we're a Lloyd's broker in London. So we've got we've got lots of areas to build on and stuff like that. So I mean, what you're saying is well, why look at America? Well, because if 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 you've got to be visionary about a public company. And you've got to say to yourself, we, we've been very successful in in, uh, in Australian jurisdiction and we've been able to take it to other jurisdictions and be successful there. Then if you're going to go, um, if, you, if, you've, if you've got responsibility for public money, then the, the, the intrinsic way we do business in Australia is set and working really well and we'll, we'll have its runway and we'll keep going forward. And and so we have an obligation to say to the shareholders, would you like us to look at other jurisdictions? And I mean, you, I mean, our fourteen billion dollars that we're doing in the Australian market, somebody like of our, of our size in America would be doing sixty billion. Mm. Uh, so the numbers are quite quite amazingly different. So we 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 took it as our responsibility to look at what that might look. We started five years ago. There was a little hiatus called COVID-19 in between that and, and we really started in earnest 18 months ago looking at it and so we're doing it and we're hopefully, hoping, uh, we certainly promised the market by by the AGM in October we'll have a game plan for the US market. Yeah, no, that's exciting and stuff. That and that might mean nothing. Okay, all right. That may mean we're not doing it. Sometimes that's the best thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But just to finish up on Australia, or or another question on Australia, is that there is some uh, wholesale brokers that have entered the market here, a couple of the English players. Yes, that Does that worry you? And you've obviously built systems for your network. Does does that create a danger that those those brokers can go elsewhere, that it doesn't have to sit within your group? The – I I guess – the reality is that the two people, you know, that have come into the Australian market and acquired uh, um, their companies are part of the Steadfast network, and in fact, they use our software and use all our systems. So, I've, I've got to reflect on that whether I'm, I'm making them too much money. So, they, 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 <laughs> there's always room for competition in acquisition or competition. It's the DNA of how you build business and how you stay strong and robust. So, I, I mean. The, they're good guys. Uh, we work alongside of them. Um, uh, it's a watching brief by the sense of it. S- sometimes it's it's um, interesting to see what motivates people. You know, um, we on on two of the largest acquisitions we've done, we've been the underbidder. Right. Okay. But what what you what you what happens when somebody comes into a market and decides to acquire? Then they will do well. But if you've got a network, which I emphasise, that's very strong and very powerful in how it thinks about its network and it's got a public company behind it, then they're sometimes a bit resident to actually go and look at something else. They, they usually come and talk to us first. On that note of valuation, what you're paying, and you've been the underbidder a couple of times, the, the insurance broken world's turned a little bit in the last few years and valuations for businesses have gone up a lot. 
Um, th- does that threaten your model in any way? Because you, you yes, going back a couple of years, you could buy things a lot cheaper. Yeah, than well, you can we, now. We, we were when we floated, we bought it seven and a half times EBITDA. We're now buying it ten times EBITDA, and, and it has and, been higher elsewhere and, 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 here and, in the UK. And when money, when when money was was costing nothing, they were paying eighteen times, sixteen times, you know, fifteen times. Uh, uh, money is no no longer cheap. I was in New York three weeks ago, and um, if you wanted to borrow money, you had to have a thirteen. If you wanted to get the money, not mm. not a not a one point nine. So the valuations are heading back your way, you think? Well, so you, the, you the, the rationale the is if if you if you're looking to to be accretive in in your acquisition, and you run a metrics of cost of of money over the top of revenue return or EBITDA, it definitely is uh, you can't afford to pay. 15, 16, 18 times, you know. You just can't afford it. Got to be disciplined. Got to be disciplined. Despite what the shareholders want to see, which is ongoing growth. Well, I mean, what we said in the beginning, we're going to be boringly reliable. Okay, if you want to invest in us, we will be accretive each year and we'll grow accretively each year. If you want us to go 30 or 40% up one year, please don't invest. That's exactly I said that. Please don't invest in us. We're not going to do that. We're, we're going to be reliable. And now we've got a track record of a decade of that reliability that that attracts long-term players and people who want a, want a, a guaranteed – it's not guaranteed, but a, that, that know that uh, we, we, we convert 75% of our profit into dividend flow. So uh, that, that's our model. That consistency that's our has consistency. worked. Evaluation's gone up. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's happened in the industry before, before we leave that is that we've had – Nice rises in premiums in a whole bunch of insurance lines. Yeah, are you confident that can continue? Because we've seen cycles before where there's hardening. There, and there's no longer softening. cycles. No longer cycles. There aren't cycles anymore. Okay, okay. There's there's capital that has to re- get return on on the capital deployed, and there's investors in public entities that are saying you cannot come back and not and, and not make us a profit. And, and what we've seen over the well, – if you go back, I, I, I've been in this industry 53 years, I think. Okay. I've never seen the idiocy that I've seen over the last five or six years. I watched before COVID the, the people running and, uh, at 140% combines and still running business. I watched people giving discounts of 30% off their technical rates to get market share and doing – Turning turning over twelve billion and making a hundred and eighty million dollars profit, and and I watched the 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 market uh, initially via people like uh, John Neal at Lloyd's say that you you can't bring a business plan to us that doesn't make money. I watched the uh, APRA say to them, you can't keep writing business and losing money on business. You have to otherwise we'll start hit you for capital. The Fed. The SCA, everybody around the world's going. We have to protect the consumer. In order to protect the consumer, the insurer has to make money. So the cycle of let's make money and then let's burn it for two or three years, let's see how much we go. Uh, that's not going to come back. So you think the regulators and the players have have extracted the stupidity that's existing yeah, in the market? Yeah, yeah, the inane stupidity of of you know, like oh, we're getting a combined down to one hundred and one. It's great. You know, that was and, – and what's your investment income look like? Oh, well, we're getting 1%, you know. It's it's ludicrous. That yep. So the, the worms turn – you know, it, it, there will be some impact on the, when the long-term bonds 
go and start and start the 30-year US bond when it starts to get stable in its pricing, but they'll get their their uh, uh, revenues up in terms of investment. But it's it's never going to go back to we'll make all the money on investment and just get the cash cash through the, the no, insurance. No, yeah, it's, it's going strange. back to fundamentals. If you deploy capital, you make money on it. Now I'm going to be a bit rude. Uh, That's why I'm we'll, used to that. We'll finish up on this. You, you, you're, in, I think, as best as I can calculate, in your late 70s. I'm 76. 76? Well, yep. Mid-70s, we'll say. And you've just, at the same time, agreed with your board to extend um, your tenure, yes. as we said yes. in the introduction, for till 2026. Obviously, yeah. part of that will be growing out the business and hopefully you land something in the US and off you run on that. Sure. Um, why, why do you want to work that long with such a big job it's it's no longer the, the you know the small broking house that you started back in the 80s or, or helped kick along it's it's a massive business a lot of stress yeah well i mean i i just i noticed that uh, hank greenberg's turning 98 and he's just stepping down from uh, from uh, running star in the, in the near future and and who are those two old whole uh, cultures in uh, in Omaha? What's their names? Uh, <laughs> there, one's ninety nine and the other's ninety four. Okay, and they still listen to them and they do it. And so I Th- that's I just, Warren Buffett. Yes, by the way, <laughs> and, and his mate. Yeah, uh, um, Charlie I'm, Munger. Charlie. Okay, uh, and and well, I they, mean, they've I, worked I together so long. My wife thinks they're the same person. She goes, "God, Warren Buffett looks old these days." And I said, "That because that's Charlie Munger." <laughs> I mean, what what I've done is, and we did, and we did with great um, uh, clarity was about two years ago. Look at the whole succession program within Steadfast, not from me down. Okay, and there, and who would instead of having a spreadsheet that said, "Oh, put that name with that," we actually built. A, a group of people that can come in under the existing uh, people that uh, that run the business, and not just put names there. And then we we saw gaps, and we filled, we worked on those gaps, and we worked on training up some people. And then uh, four or five years ago, I started working on getting a fellow called Nigel Fitzgerald, who was running AIG in Australia, uh, to come work for us. And uh, I first met him when he was running Advent in uh, in. Uh, um, London, the Lloyd's broker, and uh, he got us involved in uh, with Prem Watson at uh, Fairfax, and so we've had a long relationship with him. He's he is a um, a guy from Orange, a uh, country boy uh, who worked all around the world, who's got a great demeanour, and so he's come in as as we're going to make the move potentially. We uh, as our international business grew, uh, I moved our COO into CEO of uh, our international business, Sam, Samantha Holman. She's worked for me for 23 years, and um, and 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 Nigel started with us three months ago, four months ago. So his impact will be great on the business, okay? Because I think uh, it is. You said before, and and and, and it is. A, it's a big business nowadays, and we need somebody and um, to to come in. Uh, certainly, alongside me, that can that's potentially could take the business over. I would I would like to see. Uh, I have I have sixteen reports. I, I'm hopeful by by another month or two, I'm going to be back to about seven or eight, and that that'll be Nigel taking those that that right. heavy lifting. So, so the move He's is cer- on. The move's on. Okay. Yeah. So and and most people are trying to get squeezed out by their board or squeezed out by the market and i guess if we have a couple of bad results we won't be having this discussion it's a bit like football you know you're only as good as if you're winning if you stop winning but the at the moment 
I've still got an energy that I love about the business. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming for the money. Uh, about the, the excitement of what we've done and where we've been and having good people with you. And I'm very happy to, to segue a lot of my responsibilities over to Nigel and let him work next to me and work well. And we won't get in one another's way. We both think about the business the same way. And then if news, if, 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 if uh, uh, the US comes to fruition, then I've got a fantastic woman to run that and uh, uh, she's successful, worked with us for a long time, so, you know, happy family and stuff like that. And I'll, I, I think that there'd be a role for me in these businesses with, with some of the skills I've developed over the years to work alongside really powerful and strong people. That, that's interesting, and it sounds like you've done a lot of work under lot the surface work. to get that ready, yeah, yeah. which which is interesting. I said in the introduction that Robert Kelly wasn't a household name in investment circles. However, in insurance circles, it's a very strong name, and you mentioned Steadfast 21 in the industry, and they say, oh, it, Rob's got his fingerprints on virtually everything there because he's built it from the ground up. That's true. And so invest, investors fear the departure Yes, or, or or however it works out, the slow uh, removal of you. But you're telling them what? I'm I'm telling them that 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 I'm not leaving for a while. Okay, that the people that are in that business that are making it successful have the same DNA DNA that I have, and that we've brought in a pretty strong person with Nigel that could. If the if the I used to say the bus, but I should say the tram runs me over, then the the business would not have a gap in it from that point of view. And eventually, hopefully, that uh, that uh, when I sail off in the sunset, nowadays it's not. It's I mean, if I was in if I was in North America, I become chair, executive chairman, okay, and but the, or, or chairman even uh, of this company, and and the, and the markets would like it in Australia. Like the tropic practically advisor, well, you can't do that, you no. know. Like there's not there's you know, yeah. It's interesting because when we started Steadfast, uh, and uh, and I was successful in getting Frank O'Halloran to come and be the chair. People said to me, oh, the market doesn't like that. They want a completely independent person with an independent view. In a decade, they're going, yeah, they've got to be independent, but they've got to know everything about the business, mm-hmm. everything. So hopefully that will morph into a different uh, – the, the, the next uh, few decades, people will realise that successful businesses should be run by successful people who know all about them, not by people that come in with a good CV that know nothing about the business but know procedurally how you should run a business. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think there's a lot of evidence of that. There's a huge amount of evidence. In the local in market. Yeah. So, Rob, we, we started with the uh, – the sporting analogy that it's been a strong second half. Well, maybe we should have split it into quarters. It sounds like you, you might even be just starting the, the fourth quarter. You've got a ways to go. It could be a strong finish to that. Or maybe we're on the long break. The long break, yeah. So I, I want to say thanks for coming on. It's, it's, been, been, it's been my pleasure. I hope it's been it's, some fun. Yeah, it's a great story. And um, look out for Steadfast. It looks like it's got a lot further to go. Long way to go. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.